0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and it's good to finally have a little bit more of my voice back. I hope that you enjoyed hearing my wife's sweet little voice on the previous two episodes. Super grateful for her to step in for me. Today, we've got Daryl and Stephanie Fitzgerald, along with Dan Stutt. They're from Freedom in Christ Ministries. And this episode, they're going to be talking to us about a very pressing topic— how to Have Identity Conversations Surrounding Race. Have you ever asked yourself, how do we as believers respond to the heightened racial tension in our country today? Well, Freedom in Christ believes that our spiritual identity, not our ethnic or racial identity, should guide those conversations. So let's listen in to Daryl, Stephanie, and Dan and learn how our identity in Christ informs and enables us to have those healthy conversations about race. Enjoy the episode.
1: Well, how about if we go ahead and get started? It's a little bit after 2.15 and uh, people can find their way in as they uh, make their way this way if they want. Um, My name is Dan Stute. I serve uh, with Freedom in Christ. I was personally impacted by the ministry starting in my mid-20s now. Uh, That was back in uh, the mid-90s. And uh, so I'm, I'm grateful to be serving in the ministry full-time now. Uh, we're located over in Knoxville. Daryl and his wife, Stephanie, who's in, in the back, uh, live here in the area, pretty close. Yes. And uh, he's on staff with us. Uh, well, both of them are. And so uh, we're actually a ministry that's in uh, about 40-some countries around the world on all six major continents. I don't think we have anybody in Antarctica. Uh, no. But, uh, no. um, <laughs> yeah, right. it was a flop.
2: Well, yes, go, go ahead. ahead. Thank you.
1: Um, so um, <clears throat> so we, uh, we work with the international ministry, but also focus here in the states on developing a network to support churches and bring this disciples- discipleship message uh, into the church, um, we'll uh, talk specifically about a little bit of what that is today, but also apply that to uh, the justice issues and racial, especially the racial reconciliation conversations of today, and and uh, you know how our identity in Christ sets a, a solid foundation for that conversation. So, how about if I pray for us, and then we'll we'll jump on in, okay? Well, Father, we're grateful for this day, this time together, the opportunity to look into um, discipleship uh, across the board. Thank you for every organization that's here and the efforts that they represent, uh, the work that you're doing around the globe. Uh, We pray that you would bless our time together now by your spirit, as directed by your word. And uh, Lord, just, just use our time together for the building up of the body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, great. So
2: my name is Daryl Fitzgerald. Um, I got involved with Freedom in Christ Ministry back in 1992 when my wife and I was first introduced to Neil um, at a conference that was here in Nashville. It was in it was in Nashville. It was at a church called Christ Presbyterian Church, and we uh, were going through some tumultuous times in our marriage and was invited to come to Dr. Anderson's uh, conference and when we got invited to the conference I believed that she was the problem and she believed that I was the problem and once we recognized that we each were the problem the ministry of Dr. Anderson changed the trajectory of our family and our marriage and we've been now married for 30 years 30 years in April and um and we are in a uh, society today where we have been divided by a lot of stuff. Uh, COVID-19 really shook up um, the world. And um, not only that, but there's a lot of uh, division in this country. Um, Republicans versus Democrats, blacks versus whites, so on and so forth. And so, so with that, we decided that we want to tackle the issue of race relations Um, in America specifically because in America 43% of white Americans don't see a part or don't see an issue with race relationships in the country whereas 65% of African Americans see that there is a problem with race relations in this country and so there's a great divide somewhere what's happening, what's going on and I believe um, I know the only way that we're going to tackle this issue of race relations and talking about racial issues is through the lens of understanding our identity in Christ. Because God made everything equal at the cross, and so our new creation uh, identity in Christ is the foundation for healthy, productive conversations about race relations. How many of you, raise your hand have tried to talk to someone of the opposite race and just kind of nervous about it. Uh, I, don't, I shouldn't say anything about it. If I say something, I'm going to be labeled, so I don't want to say anything at all. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the normative of society today, because we don't know how to have conversation when it comes to racial reconciliation, when it comes to how to have conversations about race relationships, and specifically America today. There's a lot of problems in this country when it comes to race relationships, and we can't sit back as a church and recognize that we can't say that there is no problem, because there is a problem. So, here's a statement I made. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, our cultural and racial heritage should not lead our conversations as believers. Instead, our spiritual heritage as believers should lead our conversations over our cultural and racial heritage. That is the key to having our conversations. It's not from where you came from. It's not from who you came from. It's who you are. For instance, we all have a worldview. And because we all have a worldview, we grew up with that worldview because our worldview comes from our own cultural backgrounds, our own experiences, you know, how we grew up what community we came from, what education we come from, and how we were raised in, you know, Pentecostal church or Baptist church or so on and so forth. Those experiences, what they do is they shape our belief system. And because they shape our belief system, the Bible says that we're trained by those that we were discipled by. We were trained by those belief systems, and because we're trained by those belief systems, the Bible says that, The God of this world is Satan. And Satan, being the God of this world, can influence us to think of people other than how God intended for them to be. And because Satan can do that with our own cultural history and background, what he tends to do is he puts thoughts in our minds about each other's culture that may or may not be true. For instance, when I was in the third grade, this is how my this is this is the beginning of my dynamic when I was growing up. When I was in the third grade, uh, the teacher always said to us, "Hey, whoever is in front, whoever uh, can get to the front of the class um, to lead the lunch line, you're the you're the, the lunch leader." And so, at times, I missed it. I wasn't in front. I was in the front. I was not in the front to lead the class. But one particular time, I said, I'm going to beat everybody to the front of the class. I'm going to win this because I'm going to lead people to the lunchroom. Third grade, I was eight years old. And guess what? I reached the front of the line. I was just as, as excited as I could be for reaching that front of the line. And I was looking for the approval of my teacher to say, good job. When I got to the front of the line, I was looking up at her and she looked right over me. And when she looked right over me, I felt something's wrong. Why, why is she looking over me? Because she's the one that said, if you get in front of the line, you can leave the, lunch class, to, to the lunch, I mean, class to the lunch lunchroom. She looked right over me and then waited for everyone to get in line. She turned and started walking down to the lunchroom. She stopped at the front step and then she picked up her, head, her, her, her foot and kicked me. And when she kicked me, I knew the message that she was sending. She was saying, you have no business being in the front of the line leading this class because of the color of your skin. That began to shape my mind when it came to racial issues and racial problems in America. So I had experiences like that from the third grade on up, and that shaped my belief about me being a black guy and people being of different race than I am. I believe that I was not good enough to lead anybody because of those incidents like that. And so I had to change my dynamic. I couldn't change my dynamic. Only God could do that. The Bible says that God is no respect of persons. I had to transform my thinking to understand that I was good enough to lead people. Why? Because God created me in his image and in his likeness, not because the teacher was doing something to make me feel bad. I was doing that. I I did that to myself because I believed that the teacher had power over me by making me believe something that was not true. So the color of my skin, I grew up believing being black was not a good thing. I thought being white was better than being black until I learned the truth. And so what we're going to do is we're going to help you understand that as citizens of the kingdom of God, God creates everyone in his image and in his likeness. He creates everyone to be somebody. He creates everyone to know their value and their worth. And we want to help you guys understand how to have these, these racial conversations in a, in a way that's going to help you. And the only the only way that's, that's going to help is through the lens of seeing yourself through the eyes of Christ, not through the eyes of your own experience. Because your experiences do not matter when it comes to the kingdom of God. Now, the question is, does your color matter when it comes to the kingdom of God? Yes, it does. Because God made you to be somebody really special and very important. However, your culture should not take precedence over your Christianity. Your Christianity should take precedence over your culture. And we're going to be talking about that, and have some questions and answers in a minute. But I'm going to turn this over to Dan, so he can talk a little bit about uh, what I'm, I'm giving you as as far as testimony mm-hmm. is concerned.
1: Yeah, it's what Daryl's saying reminds me of uh, that Second Corinthians five passage that verse 16 says we no longer evaluate people according to the flesh. Right? For if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So what we want to do is we want to compare a biblical worldview and how to have the conversation with the world's worldview, at least in brief, and, and talk mm-hmm. about how, do we, how, does, how does a believer have a conversation based on being a new creation as opposed to how the world has the conversation. So, uh, you know, talking about um, who we are in Christ, we are all created in the image of God, right? Genesis 1.27 says uh, God created man in his image or humankind in his image. Male and female, he created them, right? And so um, so we are all created in the image of God. Uh, secondly, so that's a, a primary identity, one that all humanity shares. But that's honestly, then there's a, a divide, one time I went to the, the doctor when I was younger, struggled with strep throat a lot. And, and he said, uh, uh, he said uh, you know, in my world, there are people who get strep throat and there are people who don't. And if I wasn't feeling so terrible, like it was two hours later, I thought, oh, I should have said in my world, there are the saved and unsaved. There's those who are uh, in Adam, which were all born dead in sin. We'll look at Ephesians 2 in a minute we're all either in Adam or in Christ, right? Paul never uh, calls us Christians, but he says that we're either in Christ and Christ is in us. And that's the biblical terminology to uh, indicate saved, right? So we all start in Adam, but those who believe and are alive in Christ are now in Christ, saved uh, believers. And so there's this great divide that we know happens there. So to, to look at What does it mean to be in Christ? Uh, Neil Anderson, when he founded the ministry, he had come out of uh, aerospace engineering uh, into pastoral ministry, was preaching good theology, wondered why people weren't getting free, then went to teach at seminary and said, we've got to figure this out. This system, as an engineer, he said, this system has to work. God designed it to work. And what he realized is back in the garden, Adam and Eve were perfectly accepted and secure and significant, right? Accepted, naked and unashamed, nothing to hide before God and one another. Uh, They were perfectly secure. They had everything they needed provided for them, and they had the presence of God, right? They could walk in the garden with God. And they were significant. God said, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it, Uh, which actually when they then rebelled against God, uh, they turn the rulership of the world over to the enemy of our souls. Jesus, Paul, Peter calls him the God of this world, the the ruler, the prince of the power of the air, right? And so that's where that that transfer happened. But so Adam and Eve went from being accepted and secure and significant to all of a sudden something major happened, right? When they when they rebelled in sin, um, in Genesis chapter three, they lost. Life, right? God said, "If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die." Right? Now they didn't drop over physically, but biblically, uh, death means to be separated from. And we know that God had to expel them from the garden so they wouldn't eat from the tree of life and live forever in their sinful state. It's an action, an act of grace to. Uh, not allow us to live eternally separated from God, but to provide from that moment a way of escape, even through Jesus, uh, who is the Savior. And so they were accepted, secure, and significant. And then that acceptance was replaced by rejection. Uh, so therefore, every person has this need for acceptance and belonging. That sense of security was replaced by weakness and vulnerability uh, therefore, people have a need for strength and control or a sense of that. Uh, there's this uh, significance was replaced by guilt and shame. Uh, therefore, people have a, a sense of uh, this need for worth and significance, right? And and the world looks for that through titles and positions and status and, and money and power over people, all these different ways uh, that the world says that we can get this, Um And Ephesians 2 uh, puts it this way and really summarizes so many of these principles, right? Paul says, as for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live. All of us were born physically alive, but spiritually dead. Um, When we follow the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ, right? There's that great transfer from death to life, okay? What, what Adam and Eve lost in the garden, Jesus came to give us. And so it's by grace we've been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus how much more secure can we get than that Um, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in christ jesus for by grace you've been saved through faith is not your own doing it's the gift of god not a result of works so no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. right this idea We're now accepted because of his great love for us from death to life. We're seated in the heavenlies. We're secure and we're significant. Again, we have uh, work that he's prepared in advance for us to do. Um, So. So here the effects of the fall. This is what happened
2: in the garden. The first sign of division was in the book of Genesis. Adam Blamed Eve for the th- for the, the junk that they were eating in. Eve blamed Satan for the stuff that they were in. So division didn't start with you and I not liking each other. Division started in the Garden of Eden, where Satan took advantage of Adam and Eve. And caused division to be one of the primary reasons that we cannot get along as people get along today. As Rodney King famously said, can't we all get along? We can't get along because the divide started spiritually, not physically. I don't look at you and you don't look at me and divide over my skin color. You look at me and I look at you, we're divided because of our sin color. The sin has separated us from God. And and the skin thing is an outward growth of what's happening on the inside. That was an effect of the fall when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Elitism, racism, and sexism was introduced into the world through the fall of Adam and Eve. So when you and I fight against each other, we're fighting the wrong battle. We can't talk about skin color unless we first talking about the sin problem that we have in the garden. And the effects of the fall was this. Every temptation that you and us have to look at each other differently, it's there. Let's all just acknowledge that it's there. It is there. If I do something wrong to you and you do something wrong to me, it is there. Racial conversations today are bad, are divisive, because we don't come from a racial conversation from a biblical-centric worldview. We look at it from a secular worldview, and that secular worldview is what's driving us when we talk about racial conversations today. So when you have a conversation with someone of the opposite sex or opposite color, One of the things that you and I uh, get tense about is how is this conversation going to end or how is it going to begin? That, my friend, is the effect of the fall. And you and I are tempted to do that every time we have issues of racial conversation in this country. Here's the question. What did Adam and Eve lose in the fall? That's the question. What did they lose? Here's what they lost. They were first unified with God like this. They were bosom buddies. They were pals with God. And when they lost that battle in the Garden of Eden, there was a separation that happened. The separation caused Adam and Eve to separate first from God and then separate from one another. What did they lose? They lost life. They lost the life that God gave them in the garden when God breathed into them the breath of life. And when they lost that life, what happened? Separation came. Division came. Racism came. Elitism came. Sexism came. All of that came because we lost life in the garden. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6 says that God is a God of unity, not disunity. God wants us to unify And the way that we unify is not by just having conversation for conversation's sake. The way we unify in the body of Christ is to have the conversation from God's perspective, not our own perspective, from God's way of thinking, not our own way of thinking. If I would have continued to think that that lady planted that seed in my mind when she kicked me in the third grade, man, I could have had real issue with people of another race than I am. Why? Because I was treated disrespectfully. And guess what? I still remember that thing. I I I remember the lady's name to this day. I remember what she looked like to this day. I remember the clothes that she had on to this day. I remember how I felt to this day. That was a plant of the enemy to try to get me to look at myself other than how God created me. Adam and, Adam and Eve, Eve lost life in the garden. The question is, what did Jesus come to give you back in the garden? The very thing that Adam and Eve lost. God wanted us to be back unified again. He wanted us to come together and look at each other the way he sees us. He wanted us to come back to, and look at each other the way he created us to be. And guess what he came to give us? He came to give us life back in the garden. And life How? more abundantly. He wanted us to have life more abundantly. But the only way that we can have life more abundantly is to have that conversation and have our ways to come back to the way God wanted us to be from the beginning of time, which was in the Garden of Eden. And the only way that we're going to have this conversation as believers in Christ is not, listen, it's not from a Republican stand view. It's not going to work. It's not from a Democratic stand view. It's not even from an independent standpoint. It's going to be from God's perspective. It's not going to be because I like Trump or I don't like Biden. It's going to be from what God is saying to me when it comes to how we should treat one another and how we should look at one another when it comes to how we need to walk together
1: as believers. Yeah, Jesus actually started that uh, verse by saying the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, right? Mm -hmm. So Satan, the God of this world, uh, the one who's designed this world system, uh, comes at things very differently and convinces people uh, very differently than what is biblically true and accurate. And so, uh, you know, that instead of being created in the image of God, we're here by chance. You know, chance over time, we just happened along over the last few billion years. Right? And then. We came from amoebas, right? right. We came from these little worms <laughs> that popped out of nowhere. Just okay. happened. It just happened. And, uh, you know, or the nature of humanity, right? Where Rousseau said, we're, we're a blank slate. The only thing that creates sin are these evil structures within which we live. Um, and then uh, if we think about today, uh, right, it's not male and female, which we'll get back to this biblical perspective in a minute, but it's whatever gender you choose. Uh, to feel. And, and there is a real agenda behind that. I was in California a couple of weeks ago, and uh, one of the ladies said that uh, a teacher said to a little boy in first or second grade, with three older sisters, don't you want to be a girl so that you fit in with your sisters? Right? Planting that thought from the enemy in this world system at a young age. And so... Revelation 12.9 says he's the deceiver, right? Uh, he's the accuser. He's, he's the tempter. And so, um, so this idea that we're whatever gender we want to be uh, is acceptable. Or uh, the cultural conversation happens within the, the ideas of intersectionality and driven by whatever your ethnicity or your culture is. And That, that concept of intersectionality basically means that the more points of oppression a person has, um, then the, the greater moral authority they actually have to be able to speak into the situation. And the, the, the less wrong they can do and the, the more they should be elevated. You know, and then if we think about um, that, words, behaviors, actions, based on oppression and throwing off the oppressor, oppressor are all approved no matter what those actions are again this is the world's perspective and where they're coming from which is vastly different uh, from where we're coming from which is this biblical perspective so so the, the the core question that you have to ask yourself is who are you
2: are you someone that is based on your experiences based on what people tell you, based on how you see yourself, or are you someone that God says is valuable, is worthy, is worth dying for? Where's your perspective coming from? Is your perspective led by a secular worldview that says you are by chance? Or is your worldview led by what God says is true? I will say this to you, and I will die on this hill. I am here not by chance. I'm here on purpose. I'm here on purpose because God created me for a reason. I'm here for a purpose. And don't take this wrong. Whether you think that I'm here for, for a purpose or not, I don't care. (laughs) You do not give me life or death. You don't give me breath. You don't give me life and life more abundantly. I don't give you life or life more abundantly. Who gives me that? It's my creator. God who created me in his image and in his likeness. So all of us, humanity, has a core belief that we have that we go by and believe Every single day of our lives, either their core belief is going to be what God says about you or their core belief is going to be what your experiences tell you they are. I choose to believe what God says. I choose to believe that Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning God created. I choose to believe that God is my creator. I didn't come from a big bang theory. I choose to believe that I'm made in the image of my creator, God. I'm not made in the image of a monkey, an amoeba, or anything else that comes from the Big Bang Theory. I am created from God who made me in his image and his likeness, who prepared me for work to do on this earth. That's why I can look at myself and say, I don't have a problem with me. I love me some me. Why do I love me? I love me because God showed his love towards me. Are you going to see yourself as fallen or redeemed? See yourself the way God called you. When God saved you from your life of sin and death and hell and the grave, he saves you for a purpose. I see myself the way he sees me. I can have conversations with people. Why? Because I have conversations knowing that my identity is secure because God made it secure. It's not secure because what you think of me. Oh, that's good stuff right there. (laughs) That's good stuff.
0: Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building there's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got eBooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website. It's actually a community for Disciple Makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today.
1: I don't mean to interrupt this good stuff, but like interrupt the good stuff. We all know people who don't see themselves as fallen and sinful, and therefore they don't recognize their need for a savior, mm-hmm. right? And so, but but in Second Corinthians four four says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they don't understand their fallenness, and they don't understand who God is and what He's accomplished in Christ. But part of the problem that that we love to help people overcome uh, in freedom in Christ is helping the believer no longer see themselves as fallen, Mm -hmm. right? To see themselves as saints, yeah, as children of God, as beloved,
2: as redeemed, as forgiven, as made whole, as given life. All of that stuff is good. All that stuff is for you. It's for me. And guess what? No matter the color of my skin. Oh, oh my gosh. God created out of the Bible says in, in the book of Acts, out of one man, he created all nations. So guess what? Whether you want to believe it or not, white brother, white sister, you are my brother and sister because God created you that way. Amen. I couldn't see that, I couldn't see that when I was eight years old. But I can see it now. Why? Because God has shown me the true light. And he showed me that light and life come from him, not from my experiences in the world.
1: And when we treat one another on that basis, that we're created in God's image, we're fallen or redeemed. uh, And especially as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are redeemed. We're the children of God. Paul tells us in Ephesians, preserve the unity, right? You were Mm -hmm. talking about the unity. He purchased the unity back. Our role is to walk in it and preserve it. He made us male and female, and he gave us these biblical principles of how we relate to one another, right? Just even, for example, uh, Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, protecting and providing or nourishing and cherishing. That's not optional, and we see the destruction of marriages when men don't live according to these relational and universal biblical principles. The, you see, the, the outer circles here, what we're trying to depict, the outer circles have to be interpreted by the inner, right? So ethnicity, which God created all peoples out of one person, who are all created in the image of God, and are either fallen or redeemed, or are either male or female— it all has to be interpreted by that which is more central and core to how God has designed us, right? And so um, now, of course, how we relate to one another is impacted by uh, the, the culture, our ethnicity. You know, even in, in Scripture, they talked about they had, they had professional mourners who came in to, to mourn and wail and weep and, and yell and shout and cry Uh, on behalf of and with and for the family. As a white guy, I didn't grow up that way, right? We we buck up and, you know, and uh, keep going, Mm -hmm. yeah. But, man, I have a whole lot to learn from those who know how to mourn. It's biblical, it's helpful, it's important, and part of how God created us. But we can have that conversation uh, without without guilt, without shame, because of what Jesus has done.
2: Now, it, 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 I, must, I must say this. Uh, it's, it's taken me a while. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we need to transform our mind, transform our thinking. When the children of Israel got out of Egypt, it took God 40 years to transform them into in their thinking, what they were already in their behavior. Let me say that one more time. It took... The children of Israel, 40 years to believe that they were free. But they were walking in their freedom. How do I know they're walking in their freedom? Because God took them physically from Egypt and took them to another place and said, now you're free. (laughs) So you got to think about this. If it took them 40 years to understand their freedom, and they were free from bondage of sin and slave and Pharaoh. It took me a good 10, 15 years to transform my thinking, to believe that I was somebody rather than believing the experience that I went through as a child. And I had several horrible experiences. Because, you know, well, Virginia is the first state that, that brought slaves into the country. I think it was like 20 slaves that came into the country. Mm-hmm. And that, that place was tw- uh, about 200 miles from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And so because it was 200 miles from where I grew up, I was indoctrinated in s- the slave mentality, mm-hmm. in my belief system. My grandfather picked cotton. My great-grandfather picked cotton. My great-great-grandfather was sold into slavery for $300. So that mindset for me, it was passed down from generation to generation to me. And I was born in 1967, and that was in in the height of the civil rights movement at that time. And so I grew up in that type of environment and believed that I was less than because my environment taught me that I was less than. Until I came to Christ. Oh, my God. Until I found out the truth. The Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. When I found out the truth that I did not, I did not have to have my, my, my slave identity and my mentality and my ancestors who were brought into slavery into this country, that I did not have to live by that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It changed everything. When I recognized that God brought me from slavery to freedom, that's when I began to recognize I can be black and be proud and understand that my heritage is coming from my creator, and you can as well. And so as you continue to develop these conversations, and I, listen, I know it's tough. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to have a conversation with another black man who may be mad. But ask yourself this question. Why is he mad? I had to ask myself this question. Why did she kick me? Why did she kick me? I had to go inside of myself and look at myself and say, man, I must be special. (laughs) I must be special. And so are you. You must be special. Because guess what? I didn't fight against the lady. The Bible says I don't fight against flesh and blood. I fight against principalities and powers that was leading her to do what she did to me. So my fight was not against, and yeah, I can say her name now, Miss Odell. My fight was against Satan and his demonic forces trying to influence me to think of myself less than I should have thought of myself. So these conversations, they're going to happen. And they will happen. But you got to see yourself the way God sees you as you have these these conversations.
1: And we've had some of those conversations, and, and I've had to say, you know, hey, I need to ask this question because I don't know the answer, but I trust you as a brother in Christ, Uh, knowing me as a brother in Christ, let me ask the the question, right? Yes. Yep, perfectly fine. And and he felt felt nervous. Right. He he felt scared. He felt like, I might get beat up by this
2: question, but I'm (laughs) going to ask it anyway.
1: But now, one of the things that we need to understand is according to the world view, we were even joking about it this morning, right? As as Jill said, do you get nervous about talking? Yeah, I get nervous, and especially when it's a light issue like racial reconciliation questions. And I'm, I'm an old bald white guy, you know, who the world sees as the oppressor, right? I'm immediately labeled as someone who has to be overthrown, which, right, there's negative emotion associated with that. I can't be trusted. I'm, I'm the problem in society. People like me, and I have to give up everything so that others can have it. And so there's a lot of, whoa, but if I see myself as an old, white, bald guy instead of a child of God through faith in Christ, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel defensive. I'm going to feel afraid. I'm going to hesitate to have that conversation. I have friends who have cut me off because I've even been willing to open up the conversation with them. Mm -hmm. They were not able to have the conversation because they were not grounded in who we are in Christ, right? So it's not just black skin, white, has all this baggage too, right? That now the world is saying there's a problem there. But again, as the church, we have to be willing and able to see ourselves according to how God sees us and have the conversations. We're not going to fix it overnight. Not going to (laughs) happen. In fact, I think it's Derwin Gray said, if slavery and and race issues were easy to fix, uh, we would have done it already. This is an issue that's been trying to be fixed since since 1619
2: in this country. 1776 was freedom for... The, the uh, English who came to this country, 1776 was not freedom for African Americans in this country. It didn't come, freedom in African Americans didn't come to 1865. And even then, segregation and, and a lot of stuff that happened that, that did not give us freedom that we thought we had. But freedom doesn't come from somebody signing a piece of paper, Emancipation Proclamation. Freedom comes from, from Jesus signing his blood in red and saying, You're free.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that we have to have confidence in is that it has been the church and believers through the ages who have made the greatest difference for the good of everyone in in the world, in society. I mean, if you haven't uh, gone through Will, William Wilberforce's book, Amazing Grace, I mean, it makes me cry. He gave everything, two fortunes that he inherited in his, his entire life, to shifting the entire world's perspective on the issue of slavery from the late 1700s to the early 1800s and uh, made it a believer who made a difference. We've got a few statements here that we just want to cover and then we want to open it up for uh, some Q&A. So uh, when God is in the picture, our perspective and life experience is secondary the world says your lived experience is what creates reality and truth right when people say oh it's my truth it's well my truth is it's not that it hasn't happened it's not that it's not true but it has to be subject to the one who is the truth right jesus said of the father i don't do anything except by direction from my father and he is true John fourteen six, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, later in John 14 and in John 16, he said, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, will guide you into all truth. John 17, he said, uh, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. We're to think that which is true, and when we know the truth and put it into practice, Jesus said, it sets us free. But Satan is a liar and the father of lies, right? And the world is subject to him. And so our experience has to be subject to the one who is the truth. And the second one is we are not by any way
2: minimizing trauma, oppression, or other injustice issues. Because if you're blind today, there are trauma, there is injustice issues in this country. But we're not minimizing that. We're just simply saying that we have to come at it from a different perspective. And we got to deal with it from how God would have us to deal with it. And not the laws of the land cannot fix a spiritual issue. It will not fix a spiritual issue. Only the Word of God and God himself will fix those spiritual issues. And we do have a God who specializes in trauma. We do have a God who specializes in oppression. And we do have a God who specializes in in other injustice issues that we must deal with from the inner man and not the outer man. Because Mm -hmm. the outer man cannot solve this issue. Flesh and blood can't solve it. God must solve it. And we solve it through uh, forgiveness. We solve it through loving each other the way God wants us to be loved and so on and so forth. Yeah. In
1: fact, uh, in preparing for this, I I was learning... The difference between the gospel and injustice, or solving justice issues, right? The world would say solving an injustice issue is the way to salvation. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said uh, fifteen. He said, "I pass on to you of first importance: Jesus Christ, you know, crucified, buried, risen on the third day. We're alive in Him. That's the gospel." And then from the gospel, God says, go out and do justice, right? But if my salvation were dependent upon me doing justice, it's back to righteous self-righteousness, mm-hmm. right? So my ability to and the command to engage in justice flows from the gospel, but it's not the gospel. And as we create disciples who create disciples, we have to make that distinction, mm-hmm. right? So we also say, And you've said this so clearly, our personal agenda has to be set aside. When we're operating from the flesh, we're not walking according to the Spirit. God says in Galatians 5, when we are filled with the Spirit, we won't walk according to the flesh. And so we need to set that aside. And wounds and vows and lies must be dealt with spiritually
2: in Christ. I had to literally deal with the pain that I felt from my third grade teacher. And not only my third grade teacher, but I had to deal with the pain of a basketball player uh, tripping me, breaking my tailbone, and then calling me the N-word while playing basketball. I had to deal with that pain. I had to deal with my teacher saying that I was not worthy. I had to deal with my basketball coach that says, okay, look at you. You can't even talk right. Well, what's talking right? Uh, did he mean talking right means talking white? Right? That's what he meant to me. So I had to deal with those pains. I had to deal with those vows. I had to deal with not liking white people. I had to deal with that. Why? Because God wanted me to experience his love and his freedom, not what people had put on me when, they, when I experienced the pain of racism in my town in Virginia.
1: I had to deal with those things. And part of what we teach in Freedom in Christ is that, and do you know that the Bible says that lack of forgiveness, anger, anxiety, um, sexual uh, immorality and or adultery, all, among other things, all give Satan legal ground to oppress the believer. How many people in our churches know how to take that ground back and walk free to be able to grow to maturity in Christ? I was not taught that growing up. Neither was I. Right? And yet we have to do that to be able to then approach these things from a position of health. And we have to. We have to have these conversations according to what God says about who he is and what he's accomplished in Christ. And our
2: personal experiences and thoughts must be interpreted in the light of God's truth, not in the light of your experience. Your experience may be true for you in your experience, but your experience is not the ultimate truth that God wants you to experience. God wants you to have His freedom, not the freedom that I'm looking for. God wants you to have His love, not the love that I'm looking for in my own way of trying to find that love.
1: Yeah, Yeah, so I mean, part of what we're saying is simply that if we don't start from an understanding of who we are as new creation in Christ, the likelihood that our conversations in, the, in these areas will be healthy and productive is much smaller. So, here's, here's
2: what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to ask you to have some bold questions, mm. and the bold questions, you probably have some questions that you probably like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I want to ask this question, but I'm going to ask this question. Put yourself out
3: there.
1: The more nervous you feel, the more you should ask the question. That's <laughs> the question you should ask. Okay.
3: All right, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, thank you, first of all. This is an extremely important conversation. I really think we can take this and apply it um, in a lot of great ways. Um, when you're talking about having a biblical worldview to the race reconciliation conversations, have you ever had a time where you're talking to someone and you discovered, OK, they're not a believer. They're not coming from the same approach as me. And maybe it actually did work out or lead to a healthy conversation. Um, Or even, you know, the stuff that we're talking about in there, you know, disciple making. Um, Could there be a connection between, hey, I see that this race conversation is very important, and let me tell you about what's happened to me, you know, your story, Daryl, all the things that you've realized over the years. Um, And I don't mean to take it away from the race issue, but what happens when you're dialoguing with somebody who's not a believer, and how do you get to that? Um,
2: here's, here's the first thing. The, ch- the person who is not a believer is still made in the image and likeness of God. They still carry the image of God even though they are unregenerated. So, God still requires us to love the person. He says it this way. It's no problem loving people that agree with you, but loving your enemies, that, that's really the key to this whole, whole situation. Don't just love people who you love and like people that you just like, but love your enemies as well. So you don't have to always have a answer for people who are trying to find answers in this particular um, realm of conversation. But it is good for you as a believer to still treat that person with dignity, love, and respect because God is still gonna hold you accountable to how you speak to people when it comes
1: to race relations. Yeah. And part of, part of why a person who's not a believer would even care about justice issues, racial reconciliation, is because they're created in the image of God and they have that desire inbuilt in them. And, and part of, you know, and so they, they want to understand and grow and learn. Uh, again, part of why those conversations often will go well. Is because the believer is not getting defensive, or is uh, again there's there's many different factors, but you know we can be winsome. We what we have to understand what helps us in the conversation as believers is understanding the different worldview that's not biblically based, and therefore it can help us with the conversation. So you know, the
3: next question I was thinking of was what about believers
1: who are coming at this from what? Hmm. So, yeah, the the follow-up question, what about when we're having conversations with believers who we recognize they're actually coming from a fleshly or worldly viewpoint? Um, Well, then, again, we go back to our identity in Christ. Hey, are we? And we can challenge them. I mean, one of the Bible words that, that, that would apply here is exhortation or even correction or let's see if that's what God's Word actually says is true. Uh, about how we approach the situation. Yeah, and
2: it's not my job, uh, nor is it your job, Mm. to have the answer for everybody. The Bible says this about the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God who convicts the world and leads people into all truth. It's my job to share the truth. I don't have to convince you of the truth. Me convincing you of the truth is is not going to work. You have to come to that conclusion when the Spirit of God leads you To understand what the truth is. And so I used to be really (laughs) passionate about helping you understand what the truth is. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. Why? If the Holy Ghost can't convince you, what makes you think that I can convince you? If the Holy Spirit can't lead you into all truth, what makes you think that I can lead you into all truth? If Jesus can't lead you, what makes you think that I can lead you? I had to say it to myself. I can't lead you. I can help you. I can give you what you need when you, if you ask me the question, but I can't lead you into all truth. That's not my job. My job is to just present the truth to you. We're not going to have all the questions answered, uh, but we do have... listen, here's the redemption of God. God allowed me to meet Neil Anderson in 2008. God allowed me to walk with Neil Anderson for 12 years. God allowed me to see... The other side of redemption when it comes to what Ms. Odell did to me and what Neil Anderson has done for me. This past June, my wife and I have written our first book called From Slavery to Freedom. And we're talking about our entire story. And you can see that up in our booth today. We have several books. Uh, I'm, I'm highlighting mine because it's my book.
1: I would have done it if you did you, okay. so, yeah, you're so, good.
2: So we're, we're, we deal with issues of anxiety, fear, racial reconciliation, um, uh, you name it. If you go to our, our, our table up top, you'll find some some um, resources that can help you be able to deal with some of these questions. Yes? I
0: have a question. Yeah, so how how would y'all say, how should the church respond to, interact with like racial reconciliation movements that are not... Coming from a Christian worldview, Black Lives Matter, things Mm -hmm. of that nature, Mm -hmm. um, that are doing some good in the world, but it's also, it's certainly not coming from the same framework that we want to come at it from Christians. Should we, uh, how should we respond to those
2: movements? It's two things. I believe in the premise of Black Lives Matter, because Black Lives Matter, all lives should matter. But I don't believe. And the promise of Black Lives Matter or the purpose of Black Lives Matter because the Black, Li- Black Lives Matter is headed by two lesbian women. And those two lesbian women do not adhere to the principles of God's word. So this is how the enemy does. He has a little bit of truth and a little bit of lie. He mixes it up, and it's called deception. So when, when, when you say Black Lives Matter to me, my life should matter. I have five children that are African-American that their lives matter. But when you come to the, the purpose of Black Lives Matter, no, 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 no. I don't believe in it. I don't believe in what they do. I don't believe in how they interact. I don't believe in the, the, the division that they're, they're bringing to this country. So when it comes to me as a guy who looks at Black Lives Matter, I don't wear the T-shirt, but I wear the life. Because I am African-American and my life does matter but I don't believe in what they believe in because their, their premises are not
1: centered in, in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so even just looking into what are their foundations, what are their founders believe, espouse, uh, what are their purposes, things like that. Because, you know, it can look like good works, but uh, Satan's disguised as an angel of light. So right, he can come with deception. Did you have a question?
3: Well? I did. Um, I was wondering um, kind of what you think the role for, like, White Christianity, white church, white church leaders, um, in sort of acknowledging, taking responsibility, repentance for the black experience that the church has had a big hand in um, of oppression over mm-hmm. our history and even uh, kind of more currently.
1: Yeah,
2: that's a big question.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, that that question would not be answered by one set of group, one group of people. It will not be answered by one ethnic group, that's why Christ needed to come so that we can have these conversations. However, I would agree that we need to have, start having these conversations inside of Christ so that we can start to begin the conversation. This is a big ship. It will not be turned around in 10 years. There's 150 years of slavery in this country, 200, 250 years of slavery, 150 years of segregation in this country. 400 years of oppression that has been there, but all of it was not oppression. Not every African-American in this country felt the oppression of slavery. I might get kicked in the mouth by saying that.
3: No, I.: completely But agree. it's true. My husband, um, his family is from Haiti. Um, so he, his ancestors were not here like in <coughs> slavery in America, but as a black man walking around today, we have four biracial children. Um, the experience that they're walking through the world and the church is very different from mm-hmm. the way I grew up and the way I was raised. And so I'm yeah. um, kind of just coming from that place, not necessarily having it be a slavery issue, but mm-hmm. I think oppression as a whole um, kind of how, as the white church has been primarily kind of at the forefront of this, um, what do you see as the role of white church leaders kind of in this conversation yeah. and in this discussion?
1: and uh, So my perspective is I come at it as a learner. Okay. But what I also have to be convinced of, and when I was in seminary and listening to Uh, someone from a different ethnic background tell me that because you're white you're done I refuse to accept that because if I have the Holy Spirit in me God is not finished with me and he wants to work through me so I I cannot come at it from a a position of pride at all my confidence is not in myself Mm -hmm. but in the Lord and that he's done some amazing work and I'm part of that and I want to be part of the solution. Therefore, I have to be grounded and open to having the conversations and set the stage for the safety of having those conversations while I don't have all the answers. That's, very, that's really key, it's setting the stage.
2: And I know, you know, I, I have a lot of white friends that are afraid to even open their mouths ever anymore, just yeah. scared. Because what, what I was told was I don't want to be labeled. I'm not trying to be racist, and I don't, I don't want to be looked upon as a racist. Those are the biggest three fears that they have when they come with the one that I, I've, I've talked to. They don't want to have those type of experiences. And I understand that. I understand that. And, that, and that's, that's a real fear. But, but those, those, those fears cannot stop you from proclaiming the gospel and using the gospel as a lens of communication as you have these conversations. You will suffer persecution. You will lose friends because the God of this world doesn't want you to have this conversation. So you're not fighting against the people. It's the God of this world that don't want you to have this conversation. And so you're going to have to stand up. I'm going to have to stand up. But I'm kind of different because I've learned I I don't care (laughs) at this point. I'm a little too old for that now. I just don't care.
1: I know we need to uh, wrap up but let me just encourage you to read and look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 24 through 26. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but gentle kind able to teach gently correcting his opponents so that God might grant repentance uh, leading to a knowledge of the truth so they can escape from the snare mm-hmm. of the devil. Right? And so I think let's end on that point. Great questions. Thank you for listening today. Thank uh, you. We appreciate you being here.
0: Thank you. Well, thank you, Daryl, Stephanie, and Dan from Freedom in Christ Ministries for that awesome, awesome episode about identity and having conversations around race. Hey, if you want more resources, you can go to freedominchrist.com. They have tons of stuff there that can help you wherever you are in your walk with the Lord. I know me personally, me and my wife, we have gone through the Steps to Freedom, Neil Anderson's book, and it's been really, really helpful for us and kind of breaking free from stuff that was just kind of holding us back and holding us down for years that we weren't really aware of. So go to freedominchrist.com and check out those resources and see if there's a way they can help you in your walk. All right, y'all, that's all the episode we got for today. We got another one coming out in a couple of days. If you haven't already, please click subscribe to this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. All right, y'all, thanks for listening and have a great day. See ya. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building there's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple-making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website. It's actually a community for disciple-makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today.